Rocky Peak. How are you doing today? My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and I just want to wish you a happy new year. It's so good to be back with you. As uh, Neil just mentioned, obviously, I'm not with you in person in the, in the worship center today, and there's, there's kind of a story behind that. Uh, a lot of you know that after Christmas that I, I took off on a five-day sort of adventure bike ride to Northern California, and I'm telling you, I got more than I bargained for more stories to come, I'm sure, in the future on that. In fact, my arm a little sore today. You might notice that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, when I got back last Friday, a week ago Friday, uh, that I began to have some cold symptoms, and I tested on Saturday. And sure enough, I came down, uh, tested positive for, for COVID, and uh, even retested then on Tuesday. And sure enough, you know, had it. So I've been quarantining all week, and the good news is, is that uh, my symptoms have been super mild, like less than a normal cold that I would get, and so, uh, in fact, if I had to choose between this and a normal cold, I would choose this, uh, so I'm feeling great, um, I'm actually kind of done, but you know, uh, with the, the quarantining uh, standards that are in right now by the CDC, they're suggesting that, uh, that even kind of... Uh, that for the next five days after you test, uh, after you test positive and then you, you wait five days and five days more uh, that you wear a mask. And I, I didn't want to be teaching up here uh, wearing a mask. That would be super annoying for you. And so uh, following the lead of my hero in life, who's Dre, uh, I decided to go ahead and just tape this week as well. And so I wish I could be with you, um, but uh, I'm just so excited to be here. Uh, to be uh, starting kicking off this new series. And so for those of you who are brand new, special welcome. Uh, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet that we use every week. And if you're new, you may not know that. So be sure to, to get that out. If you're joining us online, uh, be sure to, uh, to go up there on top of whatever platform you're, you're, you're watching and download whatever form, format you like best. Uh, the teaching note sheets so we can, uh, we can follow along together. So if you're, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in, so let's pray, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll see what God has for us. So Father, we're just so thankful to be here at the start of a whole new year uh, and the start of a whole new series. And Lord, I, I really can't think of something that's more important for us to talk about that who we are as followers of yours, what happens to us when we come to Christ, the implications for our life, the vision you have for our life. And so I pray that not only for today, but as we kick off this entire series, that you would be with us uh, week after week, uh, opening the eyes of our heart to see the truth about who we are in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, our story starts today on a Thursday evening, and uh, she's up late, uh, as usual, and she's, uh, she's packing uh, because tomorrow she's leaving with some friends for the mountains to celebrate the New Year's holiday. And uh, she's been to these mountains before. That's not new. Um, she knows these friends, but she's never been to this type of an event before. And she knows that she'll know many of the people there, but not, but not all of them. Um, and so she has some uh, concern, but mostly just excited about what she's going to experience. And so she packs late into the night, Thursday night, Friday night, they ride up together. The weekend starts. And little does she know that this weekend is gonna change the rest of her life forever. Well, today, we are kicking off this brand new series. It's called Supernatural, Discovering 
your true identity. And for those of you who are brand new, uh, again, a special welcome here to Rocky Peak, whether you're joining us here on campus, outside, or even online. Uh, I'm really excited about this series. This series has been brewing in my heart for the last three or four years, honestly. Uh, in fact, this Friday night, I'm really looking forward to meeting with all of the life group leaders and hosts at our, our gathering that we do before every life group session to share with you a little bit more about kind of the backstory of this series. Uh, but the, the, this, the basic core message of this series is very simple. The core concept is simple. It's that according to Jesus, according to the Bible, is that when someone comes to Jesus, some, comes to faith, step over that line to follow Jesus, that something happens to us. It's something deep. It's something that is powerful. It's something that's very profound. It's something that is truly supernatural that changes us at the core of our being for the rest of our lives and for eternity. And with this change, it brings with us a, a whole new identity, a new calling in life, uh, a new perspective, a new power, a new capacity for change. It, it brings with us uh, a new community, a new enemy, uh, a new relationship with kind of culture at large, and a new assignment, and ultimately a new destiny. And so what we're going to be doing in this series is just kind of week by week unpacking one different angle of all these changes that happen to us the moment that we come to Jesus. One of the things that the New Testament teaches over and over again is that without understanding who we are in Christ, it's impossible for us to really follow Jesus, to live the life he's called us to live and have the impact in the world he's called us to have uh, without a clear understanding of who we are and what's happened to us when we came to Christ. Now, what we're gonna be doing today is we're gonna kick off this series uh, by looking at a very important passage of scripture in the New Testament that's written from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christ followers in the ancient city of Colossae. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Supernatural, the New Identity. And we're gonna be looking at just four verses today, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you have, or your apps, you want to turn there, uh, kind of find that passage. If you're new at all this, this is in the second half of your Bible, the part we call the New Testament, a small little book, just four chapters long, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1. Now, before we jump into this passage, I want to set it up a little bit. So what the Apostle Paul He's, uh, is going to say he's writing to a group of Jesus followers that he's never actually met. He's in prison. Uh, he's writing to a group of Christ followers in this ancient city of Colossae, which is near Ephesus, um, but he's never met them personally. And he is reminding them of who they are in Christ, like what happened to them when they came to Jesus, and therefore the implications for how they live out their life. And so um, what we're going to see today is that in the New Testament, when we talk about this supernatural change that comes to us, happens to us when we come to Jesus, it's going to use a wide variety of word pictures, metaphors, uh, uh, illustrations. And we're going to look at some of those later. But for the Apostle Paul, the favorite metaphor, his favorite word picture is this picture of death and resurrection. And to understand the teaching of the Apostle Paul, we have to understand this. So before we jump in, I'm just going to explain it a little bit, and then we're going to jump in and see what he says. 
So uh, what, what Paul says is that when a man or woman decides to give their life to Christ, we come to Jesus, uh, we surrender our life to him, we receive his gift of salvation, forgiveness, new life, that when that happens, that, um, and, then, and then when we're baptized, and remember that in the early church, there was no such thing as an unbaptized believer. Uh, this was the way that you said, I want to follow Jesus. If you wanted to become a Christian, you didn't raise your hand at a meeting, go forward, fill out a connect card, pray a sinner's prayer. The way you said, I want to be a follower of Jesus is you were baptized. And so Paul says that, that when we're baptized, that we're baptized, and this language is very important, he says we're baptized into Christ Jesus. It's like there's an organic link that comes in our life between our life and Jesus' life when we come to faith in him and we're connected with him by the Holy Spirit. Um, I think of it like going online uh, with a network with your computer. Uh, like with my computer here at work, when I, I log on, I can go onto our uh, kind of our, our corporate uh, network or our kind of a community network uh, here at Rocky Peak. And once I do, I have resources. I, I have access to all the resources of the network. And so Paul says that when we come to Jesus, it's like we go online with him. We're baptized into him so that we're connected with all he is and all that he has gone through on our behalf. And so Paul says that, that when we're baptized into Christ, as a result, we, we we're baptized into his death as we go under the water uh, and, and we're, then we're raised with him as we come out through the power of the Holy Spirit to a new life. And so practically what this means is as Christians connected to Jesus through his Holy Spirit, we have access to his capacity to die to the old life and to rise with him to the new. And of course, uh, after his resurrection, Jesus eventually ascended into heaven and he sits in New Testament language at the right hand of God, which is a, a metaphorical way of saying that he is ruling over creation and we're connected with him, that we share his life. And so this is the imagery, the illustration, the metaphor that Paul uses the most to describe what happened to us when we came to Jesus. And it's the, 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 uh, the metaphor, the illustration he's gonna be using today. So with that in mind, let's go ahead now and look at... Uh, We'll look at uh, verse one and see what he says. So Colossians chapter three and verse one. He says, since then you, and we'll talk about this more next week, but the you here are the plural, you know, it's, it's you all. Um, since then you as followers of Jesus there in Colossae, since you've been raised with Christ, okay, so you see that analogy. He's already talked in chapter two and He's already referred how we died with Christ in baptism. He'll come back to that in a minute. We're cutting into the middle of the conversation. But he says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart, so your focus, on things above where Christ is at, seated at the right hand of God, kind of ruling over creation. He says, so set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So he's not talking about uh, like always thinking about heaven. But what he's saying is we need to look at our lives here on earth from a, from a Jesus perspective, from a kingdom perspective. And he says, for you died, there's the, the analogy, right? You died with Christ in baptism. For you died and your life is now hidden. And I want you to underline that or circle that. We're gonna come back to it later today. 
It's hidden with Christ in God. In other words, the truth about you has not yet been revealed. Your true identity is wrapped up with his, and in the same way that his true identity is hidden from the world at large today, your true identity as a follower of Jesus is hidden with him. And he says, uh, so in verse four, he says, so when Christ, who is your life, remember we've gone online with him, we share the life of Jesus, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you know, at the end of time, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, what I want to do today, in the time that we have together, is I want to highlight four important key principles that flow out of this passage about who we are, what happened to us when we came to Jesus, and the implications for our lives um, that are gonna carry us not only for today, but for the entire series, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Supernatural, Four Key Principles. All right, so the first one goes like this. The first thing we're gonna see is over and over in the New Testament, we see it here, is that Christianity is supernatural. Christianity is supernatural. So in other words, when someone comes to Jesus, we cross over that line from unbelief to belief. We cross over that line from rebellion to, uh, to surrender, to, to, to uh, submission. When we cross over that line between uh, being uh, uh, kind of uh, guilty to forgiven, that the moment that we give our lives to Jesus, we start on this supernatural journey that's truly supernatural from beginning to end. What I want you to catch is that becoming a follower of Jesus is more than a change of perspective. It is that, but it's more than that. It's more than a change of lifestyle. It is that, but it's more than that. It's more than a change of priorities. It is that, but it's more than that. That becoming a Christian is not so much about what we choose, it's more about what God does in us. That when we come to Christ, something happens to us. And as I said at the beginning, I'll say throughout this series, it's deep, it's powerful, it's profound, it's truly supernatural. Now, let's stop right here, and I want to put around kind of neon lights around something, especially for those of you who are kind of more sensitive uh, consciences or, or kind of quicker to question your own relationship with the Lord. That when I say that something deep and powerful and profound is that your awareness of that will vary. Uh, like how, how much you're aware of that change, how much that change is obvious to those around you will really vary based on things like your age, uh, your lifestyle before you came to Jesus, and then the unique way that the Holy Spirit works with each person. Uh, so for example, uh, that if you came to Christ when you were very young, like I came to Jesus when I was four, there wasn't a huge like change of life, right? Uh, if, if you came to Christ uh, where you had a really wild lifestyle, you may see a more kind of radical change right away than, than if you didn't, if, if your life was not kind of like yet they're radically doing things that we, we, all, we all know are wrong. And even the way the Holy Spirit works in each person is so unique. Um, and so sometimes it can be more obvious and so uh, sometimes subtle. Let me give you an example. 
Um, today we started the day with a story of this young woman who's up late at night on a Thursday night. She's packing and she's getting ready for this special trip. She's taking the next day with some friends up to the mountains uh, to celebrate the New Year's, uh, New Year's weekend. And uh, she's been to the mountains before, but she's never been to an event like this before. And uh, little does she know that, that this weekend is gonna change her life forever. Uh, this is a true story. Uh, it's the story of my wife, my wife, Lynn. Um, and, um, and so what, what happened when Lynn was a junior in high school, she had she'd not grown up in a Christian home, um, but she had several Christian friends who had begun inviting her to church. And, and so they'd become her friends. And so they were gonna have, the, the youth group at their church uh, was gonna have a, uh, a special uh, kind of retreat to celebrate in the new year, kind of a spiritual, kind of a winter you know, winter high school retreat sort of thing. What's kind of crazy about this is that I didn't really know Lynn at the time, but I was at that same retreat uh, rededicating my life to Christ. And so little did I know that, that God was gonna be weaving our lives together in the future. But anyway, uh, Lynn had gone, and uh, so she, uh, she'd she agreed to go, but she'd never been to a retreat before. She didn't really know what to expect. And she got there Friday and everything was fine and, and just enjoying her friends and some new people she was meeting. And of course, they're doing the normal meeting things and activities. But on Saturday, Saturday evening was actually New Year's Eve. And so they were gonna meet very late that night. They're gonna have a speaker and do some worship and then kind of do some worship to bring in the new year. And so um, honestly, looking back, she can't really remember much about the night. She can't remember who spoke or what the topic was on. Uh, she wasn't, re wasn't really speaking to her in any powerful way. Uh, but when midnight came, they were doing some worship together and one of the youth leaders pulled out his guitar and he began to sing a song about the second coming of Jesus. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you may remember this song. It was a very famous song at the time by Larry Norman called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And Lynn had never really heard much about the second coming of Jesus, but somehow as he began to sing that song, something began to speak powerfully in her heart that she needed what he was talking about. And honestly, at the time, she didn't understand that. Um, it's interesting, you know, in John chapter three, when Jesus talks about being born again, he said, when someone's born again, it's, it's very mysterious. He said, you can't program it, you can't predict it. It's like the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but where the wind is coming from, where it's going, no one can see. That's how, how it is when someone is born again of the Spirit. And that night, the Spirit was blowing through uh, Lynn's life. Uh, and of course, she didn't have words for it. She didn't, she didn't understand it. Um, but she just sensed that she needed what this man was singing about. And so after he was done, later on they gave an opportunity for people if they wanted to explore more about Jesus to go back in a back room, talk with a counselor, and she did. And so they, they shared the simple gospel with her and honestly, it still didn't make that much sense. She didn't understand it all. It made a little bit more sense about Jesus dying for his sins, but it, it was still very muddy, very cloudy. But she had a very strong sense that she needed to respond and give her life to this Jesus, and so she did. And uh, she describes it when she woke up the next morning. It, it wasn't like an overwhelming life change, but something had changed. It was very definite and very profound. 
She said she had a new joy in her life, just a, a joy she couldn't explain. There was a new lightness in her life. She couldn't explain. The next week when she went home, she pulled out a Bible that one of her friends had given her before the retreat that she tried to read. It made no sense to her. Couldn't make heads or tails of it. And all of a sudden, the words are coming off the page. And she just, she actually turned the Bible over to see if it was the same Bible. She couldn't even believe it was the same book because it was speaking with such power. And so with, with Lynn, if you were to look at her life as a junior in high school from the outside, as she went to school that next week, it wouldn't have looked any different at all, hardly. There was no huge lifestyle change. There was something, she was pretty much, she wasn't a wild child, kind of a good kid. But something had changed. It was deep. It was powerful. It was profound. And it's still being unfolded to this day. And so this is what the, the Bible says over and over again, that whatever your personal experience, how obvious, um, how how uh, radical or how subtle or how hidden, that when someone comes to Jesus, something happens to them. It is deep, it is powerful, it is profound, it's truly supernatural. Now, earlier today, I mentioned that, you know, that there were several different images. Paul loved his image of death and resurrection, but the New Testament, Jesus, the writers, they used many different illustrations, word pictures to describe this profound change. For example, there on your note sheet, uh, probably the most famous is the one that Jesus uses. And uh, for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, we can sometimes miss, the, miss how powerful this illustration is because we're just so familiar with it. But, but one night he was talking in John 3 to a very prestigious religious leader, one of the spiritual leaders of Israel. But he told them, Nicodemus, you, you can't really be part of the kingdom of God unless something happens to you. And, and he used this illustration, you have to be born again. And later he said, born again of the spirit. It's a supernatural new birth. And there in your note sheet he said, Jesus said, very truly, and for those of us who've just come out of that last series on John, what does that mean, right? Yeah, amen, amen. It's what Jesus says before he's about to say something incredibly profound that he doesn't want us to miss. He says, amen, amen. I tell you, Nicodemus, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Something has to happen to you. And again, we are way too familiar with this, uh, this uh, language, and, and we're, we're way too, uh, we had way too much experience with, with people in our country who simply prayed a prayer or whatever, and they've never really come to Jesus, but they claim to be born again, and so it seems like not so profound. But Jesus says when someone truly gives their life to him, that something happens, it's so profound, it's like starting life over again. It's like a whole new birth and actually like a new heredity. We, we receive the DNA of Jesus. And after Jesus introduces this metaphor, then his followers like Peter, uh, like John, uh, like even Paul will use this. There in your note sheet, the next verse, First Peter, Peter writes to the Christians, he says, for you, you know, as followers of Jesus, you've been born again, but it's not a perishable seed. It's of imperishable, it's through the living and enduring word of God. 
or the next passage from the apostle John, and John loves this image. He uses it all through this letter of 1 John. I'm just picking one of many, many examples, but he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, and remember, Christ means Messiah, and so he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, he says, is born of God. In other words, this is not something that you would naturally look at Jesus and realize that you need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. And so if someone realizes this, it's a sign that they have been born again. If you skip the next passage and go to the following one in Titus, the apostle Paul uses similar language, but in a different way. He says that he saved us, God saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Of course, this goes to the heart of the gospel, right? That we're saved not by our performance, but because of Jesus' death for us. But he says, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, and then catch this language. He saved us through the washing of what? Yeah, rebirth. Circle that. It's another way of saying being born again. And he says it's like a, like a spiritual washing. He combines two metaphors, like the washing away of our old life and being born again. And then he uses the term, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And so this is a, another metaphor, this renewal that's supernatural. Uh, one of the most famous uh, uh, word pictures that the Apostle Paul uses is the one we just skipped over. If you go back up one to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says that when someone comes to Jesus, it's like the new creation has already started in their life. And you say, what do you mean? Well, in the Bible, it says that when Jesus comes back at the end of time, that he will recreate the world, that there'll be a new creation, that there's gonna be new heavens and new earth. And what Paul's gonna say is when someone comes to Jesus, it's like that supernatural future is brought into our lives right here, right now in the present, and something happens at the core. The new creation starts at the center of our being. Now, our bodies are not gonna get to the new creation until Jesus comes, but our spirits are renewed at the heart. Something happens. And so he says, if anyone is in Christ, notice that language. Remember, we've been baptized into Christ. We're connected with his life. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. It's already here. The old is gone. The new is here. And so what the New Testament teaches over and over again is that Christianity is supernatural. It's not so much what we choose to do. It's what God chooses to do in us that leads to the choices we make that's truly supernatural from beginning to end. Something happens to us. There in your, your note sheet, as Paul says, the last verse, he who began a good work in you, and of course, this is speaking of God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus, until he comes back, right? So that's where we start, that, that according to the New Testament, coming to Jesus, something supernatural happens to you. It's deep, it's profound, it's powerful, it is truly supernatural. Now, number two, the second principle that's gonna carry us all through this series is that this change that we've just been describing, this supernatural change, this change is for everyone. In other words, this, this supernatural change, this new identity that we have in Christ, this new, this new power, this new capacity for change, um, this new purpose, this new community, this new 
uh, enemy, this new destiny, this new assignment, that it's not just for certain Christians, it's, it's for anyone who comes to Christ. It's for everyone who comes to Christ. Um, it's not for just like the spiritual elite, kind of like the Christian Navy SEALs, you know, spiritual SEALs. Um, it's, it's not just for apostles. It's not just for um, pastors. It's not just for um, elders. It's not just for church leaders or spiritual leaders or evangelists. That this is for everyone who follows Jesus. This change happens for everyone who follows Jesus. Now, earlier today, we looked at uh, kind of a passage where the Apostle Paul talks about this death and resurrection theme. But the place that he talks about it the most is in Romans chapter 6. And I want to go back there for, uh, go there for just a second. So in Romans chapter 6, he's writing to these Christ followers and he says, don't you know, and this is Paul's way of saying, um, uh, y'all know this, right? Like, in other words, you, you should know this by now. So he says, don't you know that all of us, now I want you to circle that, all of us, that all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus. So circle that baptized and then into Christ Jesus. Remember, this is Paul's language. We're baptized into Christ. We, we become part of Jesus. His life becomes our life, that we are online with him. Uh, he says, everyone who's baptized into Christ Jesus, and remember, in the early church, everyone was baptized. This is a uh, a, an unbaptized believer is an oxymoron. By the way, we're having a baptism in the, you know, a month and a half or so. If you're not baptized, it'd be a great opportunity. Um, but uh, he says that, that all of us who are baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. So if you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death. And he says, we were therefore buried with him, kind of carrying this analogy out, right, under the water, we're buried with him through baptism into death in order that, here's why, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. He says, the reason we were baptized into Jesus was so we could die, have the power to die with him, the capacity to die with him to our old life and rise with him to a new. Now, what I want you to catch is this language of all. Notice how that first question starts. Don't you know that how many of us? Yeah, it's all of us. That all of us. That this new identity is, that we share in Christ is not for certain special people. It is for every follower of Jesus. And this is important because one of the greatest lies the enemy uses in our life to hold us down, to keep us from being transformed to be like Jesus, to keep us from carrying out God's vision and plan, his destiny for our lives, is to convince us that this calling, this new life, this new identity, it's not for you. It's not for us. It's just for special people. Again, pastors, leaders, elders, whatever. It's not for you. It's not for people like, like you. It's not for people that have done what you have done. It's not from people, for people like you that have come from the background that you've come from or the level of education that you have or where you were raised or your socioeconomic background or your successes or 
failures in life or your, uh, your race or your uh, kind of the way you are parented or what you have done or what's been done to you. Now, many of the, you know, I think one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that when we have suffered uh, a lot of uh, verbal abuse uh, growing up about who we are or uh, physical abuse or sexual abuse, maybe we've been traumatized or molested or raped, that one of the enemy's lies is that this is not for you. This new identity is not for you. It's one of his most effective tactics at holding us down. But the truth is, if you've come to Jesus, in Paul's language, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, you've received his gift of forgiveness based not on your performance, but his death on the cross for you. If you receive the gift of his spirit, then this is you, that you have died with Christ. You have risen with Christ. Christ is your life, that you have a new identity in Jesus. This is for everyone. Now, number three, the third principle is that this change we're talking about, this change is epic. And I, I choose that language very carefully. I know we live in a world of hyperbole, uh, exaggeration to get attention. We see that every day on social media or the news. But when I use that word epic, I'm choosing it very carefully. That what the New Testament is constantly saying is that this change that happened to you, whether you realize it or not, whether you feel like you experience it or not, that this change is not something small. This is not like rearranging the furniture in your living room of your life. Um, this is, is not like uh, having someone in to get your house ready to, to sell and, and you're just gonna stage it, you know? Maybe bring in some new furniture to make it look a little bit better. This is more like a, a remodel, a tearing down to the studs, if you will. This is a complete renovation of your life. And honestly, the language that the Bible uses to describe who we are, the purpose we have, God's calling on our lives, our destiny, our future, it is so epic that honestly, as I read it, as I meditate, as I reflect it, there are many times where I just write in my journal, Jesus, is this really true? This is so big. It's so huge. As I look at my own life, as I look out at our church, it's like, is this really true? It's power. Let me just give you one example. Um, earlier today, we talked about this passage in Colossians 3. Let's take a look at it again, and let me just unpack it a little bit more. So in Colossians 3, Paul says, you're familiar with it now, you died, you know, we died with Christ in baptism, and he said, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I had you circle that before, right? It's hidden with Christ in God. So he says, when, when Christ, who is your life, remember, you're connected with him, when, that, when he appears, you'll appear with him in glory. So what's he saying here? What Paul is saying is that right now, remember, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. 
He's ruling over creation. Now, it doesn't look like that, right? As you look at the news, you look at the newspaper, the state of the world, it doesn't look like that. The Bible is clear that Jesus has not yet taken his power and begun to reign in the sense of bringing his kingdom to earth in all its power, right? So, but the truth is that he is ruling over creation, much like in the Old Testament when Daniel has his visions of all these beasts coming out of the, the, the chaos and the sea and then uh, doing so much damage, and these were images of superpowers that were gonna rise, but over it all, God is ruling over all of that. In the same way, Jesus is currently king of creation. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's ruling over creation. Now, to the outside world, it doesn't look like this, does it? Um, when you look at our world today, and you say, like, who are the movers and shakers? Who are the people that are, are changing the direction of culture? Who are the people with influence? Who are the people with political power calling the shots in a world? And our mind instantly goes to maybe like President Putin and Russia, and we want, we're watching what's happening in Ukraine. Is this the start of World War III, and is he going to invade or not? And we watch what our president, President Biden, is doing to try to slow him down. We look at the European powers and how they're speaking out, and like these are people of influence, and it would seem like these are the people that are controlling kind of the destiny of what happens on planet Earth. Uh, we look to, to the east, and we see uh, President uh, uh, Xi Jinping, and, he's, and, and his, uh, his rhetoric about Taiwan and wanting to repatriate, uh, take back uh, Taiwan, and, and, and we, we watch and say, how is the world going to respond, and where is this going to lead? And we watch our military moving uh, uh, more resources in the area, right? As we, we watch the Jeff you know, Bezos or Bezos of the world and the, the influence they have or the Elon Musk, we, we say, hey, these are the movers and shakers. But what Paul says is, you know what? Jesus is actually ruling over his creation. He is, he is the king of the cosmos. He's, that's hidden. That's a hidden reality right now, but it's true. And he said, but here's something else. You're the truth about you is hidden with him. In the same way that his true identity is hidden from the world right now, but one day is gonna be revealed when he comes back, your true identity as a son or daughter of the king, as someone who is in Christ, that, that you may look normal, but there is nothing normal about you. That's the core you've been changed. You've been forgiven. You've been adopted. You have received the gift of his spirit. His power is upon you. His calling is upon you. And your true identity as a son or daughter of the king will one day be revealed. But not now, but when Jesus comes back. Do you see what he said there at the end of that passage? When Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you will appear with him in glory. I want you to catch that. What he's saying is that one day when Jesus comes back, you're gonna receive your new bodies and it sounds like we're gonna be glowing and shining like he is and we're gonna be unbelievable. What Paul is saying is right now to the outside world, even to yourself, to your friends, you may look normal, but there's nothing normal about you. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the vision is epic. I don't know about you, but that really stretches my faith. It's like, really? As I look out on 
you at a normal weekend, as I look at my life, as I look at our church, as I look at believers throughout time and history, <coughs> is that really true? But this is what we're gonna see. The Bible, <coughs> excuse me, is constantly challenging us. There's more to you than meets the eye. You know, C.S. Lewis, the famous Oxford Don, uh, Cambridge Don, uh, famous author, Chronicles of Narnia and so on, uh, you know, came to Christ late in life. He wasn't a pastor, so he didn't normally teach sermons. But he did give uh, a well-crafted sermon one time. It was called The Weight of Glory, and it was so powerful, it was actually published as its own book. And there in your note sheet, I want you to catch what he says because uh, what Lewis has been drinking at the springs of living water of the New Testament. Like what he's saying here, it's flowing out of this spiritual reality that Paul is describing. He's, what, what Lewis says, he says, it's a serious thing to live in the society, he's talking about our current world, of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to one day may be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you, meet, you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. He said, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. And catch this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, Cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And, and Lewis is not just making that up, he's just reading his New Testament. He's just understanding how epic this story that we're a part of is and how epic our lives are. Number four, the fourth principle is that what you believe really matters. That what we believe about who we are as followers of Jesus and what has happened to us um, really matters. In the last few months, I've been reflecting on, kind of reviewing, uh, really thinking through uh, Dallas Willard's book called Renovation of the Heart. It's a fantastic book. One of the things he talks about there is God's vision for our life is a complete transformation to become like Jesus, something we talk about here all the time. He said, but whether we experience that transformation is largely determined, first of all, on whether we have a vision for that transformation. Then he points out that the way we see ourselves or the way that we understand God's vision for our life greatly determines what we experience in our life and whether we grow and become who we are or not. And at one point in the book, just this little brief quote, he says, the image that one has of himself, of oneself, the way we see ourselves, for example, can override everything else and cause one to act in ways contrary to all reality and good sense. And this is so true. And this is why, I want you to catch this, the New Testament, and especially the Apostle Paul, but 
but Jesus and New Testament are constantly calling us not so much to become something we're not as to be who we are. And that's what Paul is saying in this Colossians 3 and time and time again throughout the New Testament. Look what he says. Since then, you've been raised up with Christ. In other words, since that is true about you, since it's true that you've been baptized into Jesus, you've been connected with his life, you've gone on life with Jesus, you share in his death, you share in his resurrection, you share in his spirit. He says, since that is true, he says, therefore, then set your heart on things above. In other words, the New Testament is constantly calling us to be who we are. And so what we believe about who we are is incredibly important. And so this leads to one final question there. As we kick off this series, I'm sure this is a question I'm gonna ask in a variety of ways as we go through this series. But there's a section called Supernatural, one key question. And the question is, who do you believe you are? Who do you believe you are? We've been talking about what Jesus and New Testament, who it says we are. But the question is, what do you believe about who you are? See, the reality of life is that we're always, as we go through life, we're always collecting messages about who we are and what we're capable of and what we should expect of ourselves, and what our future should look like and what is our purpose in life. And these messages come to us from a wide variety of sources. They come from parents. Uh, they can come from siblings. They can come from early life experiences. They can come from experiences we have with teachers early on. They can come from friends. They can come through peers, uh, other students maybe in our life. They can come from coaches. They can come through um, professors. They can come from coworkers. They can come from bosses. Um, they can come from spouses, they can come from kids, they can come from grandkids, but we go through life collecting these messages about who we are. Sometimes that these messages or convictions, they flow not so much from people, but from life experiences, from, uh, from failures, from successes, um, from things that we've done to others, or like I talked before about things that have been done to us. But these beliefs, what I want you to catch is these beliefs are very powerful because we all tend to live up to our belief about who we are. We tend to align our life, our choices, our priorities, um, our goals in line with who we believe we are. And of course, the enemy is always going to be trying to uh, influence your view of who yourself, who, who you are from, from your other people in our life, from, uh, from our life experiences, from our failures, and so on. And Jesus is always going to be uh, trying to call us to trust him and what he says about who we are and what's happened to us as a result of our relationship with him. And one of the things that you're gonna find throughout this series is that often there's gonna be a huge gap between who Jesus and the Bible says you are and between 
who you see yourself as. Like Jesus, uh, the New Testament, we're going to see that they're going to be describing us as someone who's died with Christ, someone who's resurrected with Christ, someone who has this capacity to change, someone who's been given the gift of his spirit, someone who's a high calling and destiny. Nothing, we're going to struggle with that. We're going to say, like I said earlier, well, maybe that's not even for me. That's for, for super Christians or for, it's not for people like me, someone who gets constantly angry with my kids or someone who, who finds it hard to even make time to read God's word or for someone like me who struggles still with like pornography or, or, or this certain sin or this overeating or this critical spirit that I can't seem to manage. And what we're going to see is there's, a, there's often going to be a big gap between who Jesus in the New Testament says we are and who we experience that we are. And that's not a bad thing. And one of the things that we're going to have to do in this series over and over again is to ask this question, well, who do we believe? Do we believe Jesus or do we believe what others have told us or what my life experience has told me or, or what my current life experience is. And we're gonna have to go before the Lord. And when we see that gap, the, the thing we're gonna have to do is instead of denying that gap or pretending it's not there or ignoring that gap, we need to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you to open the eyes of my heart so I can see the truth about who I am. Because this is who you're saying, this is my experience. They don't seem to match up. And so I need you to open the eyes of my heart to see what you're seeing as reality so that I can truly believe it and begin to move towards that to become who I really am. And so the question I want you to reflect on this week is who do you believe you are and why? And then begin to compare that with who Jesus, the New Testament writers say you are, and begin to wrestle with that and take it to the Lord as together we discover our true identity in him. Let's pray. So Father, today we've come and we've talked about some very kind of deep and profound things, things that are over our heads. And I'm, I'm just reminded of your word that says the the, the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. But we have received the spirit, not of the world, but the spirit that's from God that we might understand the things that you've freely given us. And so, Lord, we come and we just freely acknowledge that we need the help of your spirit in this series to open the eyes of our heart that we could see the truth about who we are so we could believe that truth and begin to live in that truth and pursue that truth and live in light of that truth that we might truly become who we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me as we uh, join the worship team and, and worship together?